This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back my It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all Coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're all doomed. You still with us, Crow? I don't burn so good these days, bloodsucker. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration. This is the John Carpenter Appreciation Month, a continuance of appreciating and worshiping everything and anything John Carpenter related, the, the life and the works of one John Carpenter. And this week we are going to be reviewing and dissecting his 1998 cult hit, Vampires. And joining me this evening is the lovely Constance Madrano. How are we doing today? Hey, hey, doing pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. I'm hanging in there, you know, aches and pains all abound, but, you know, pushing forward. How have you been? Pretty good. About the same. Aches and pains everywhere, but doing really good. <laughs> well, we're doing better than some of the people in this movie because this movie is... <laughs> I mean... Uh, our heads Violent. are attached. <laughs> yeah, our heads are attached. We're not bruised, bloody, and beaten. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, viciousness going on with this movie. But I will give the quick uh, IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. After recovering from an ambush that killed his entire team, a vengeful vampire slayer must retrieve an ancient Catholic relic that, should it be acquired by vampires, will allow them to walk in sunlight. And that's a pretty fair representation. I, I feel lots it of times is. the yeah. IMDb synopsis is a little hit or miss. But uh, after watching this movie, I have a long history with this movie. We'll get into it as the show goes on. Uh, after so seeing this movie, I hunted down the book, which I find it uh, ironic that the name of the guy who directed, or not directed, but who wrote the book was called John Stakely. And the fact <laughs> that he was, it's just, it just makes me giggle every, like you did. Oh, it's just, it makes great. me giggle every time I hear it. But the book and the movie bear little resemblance. Uh, I mean, a few of the characters, you know, Balak, the vampire. Right. Got, uh, uh, Crow, you know, <clears throat> Jack Crow, our main vampire slayer. And I found a couple little tidbits of information as the writer of the book, John Stakely, has said, you know, by the time the screenplay had been written, it had been written two or three times by two or three different people, and it was kind of a, a conglomerate of two or three different screenplays. Right. And it retained a lot of his dialogue, but almost none of the plot, which 
is pretty accurate. We, I mean, we that won't get tends into- to happen with, I feel like with any book to movie type thing that tends to happen where it's, it's very little actually reflects from the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, basically the job, the, the Jack Crow character is really the only thing that really resembles uh, anything true to the book. Although they describe him in the book as being a monster of a man, muscles on muscles with a big giant beard. And that is everything that James Wood is not. I mean, he is absolutely just a flat ass individual with no muscle mass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He, a flat ass is, is a good way to describe uh, James Woods. Now, I am not a fan of James <laughs> Woods, the p- person. I think he is a, a decent actor. He's pulled off some great, you know, performances, bestseller, video drone. Right. But he is not uh, what I consider, I'm trying to think of a way to put this, um, action hero uh, material, if that makes right. sense. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I don't see him as an action individual. And I honestly think... I, I'm not a big fan of James Woods either, but yeah. I think that family guy. Yeah, not the person, you know. <laughs> if you can look past this, the movie is still quite enjoyable. But uh, this was his, you know, this was John Carpenter's follow up. And we've talked about this uh, a little bit in texting back and forth. This was his follow up to Escape from L.A., the movie that pretty much broke John Carpenter's will to live, I yeah. think. You know, because he at that point was. I'm not going to make movies anymore. I'm not going to direct anymore. It had ceased being fun to him, but he had gotten this offer to do vampires. And this was the movie that rekindled his passion for filmmaking. And then I believe he had only directed, uh, I think two more movies after this was, uh, after this was, I think he did ghosts of Mars. Uh, I'm going off of memory here, ghosts of Mars and the ward and ghost of Mars, you know, a passable action, you know, sci-fi movie, but the ward, man, yeah, we won't be covering that one. We're going to try to right. cover just the ones that. Just this one. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, uh, I, I love the beginning of this movie. However, you know, when it starts off, it, it has a very westerny kind of feel, and I think that is something that drew John Carpenter to the film. It's essentially a western disguised as a horror action film. Yep, and John Carpenter actually has said that he doesn't consider it a horror film, that he more considers it a Western. Yeah, and I, I think that's a fair representation of it. It's straight up a Western. It just happens to have horror A lot elements. of violence. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what, what changed it. I mean, I know most Westerns have a lot of, you have like shootouts and things like that. So there can be violence in Westerns, but I think where the, the vampire element and then the over top in the like the over the topness in the the gore kind of pushed it a little into the the horror realm right right now i want to the first note i have here it, like did somebody manage to tell james wood that this was an action movie because i don't think he was aware like well i feel like he was aware but like he didn't realize what kind of movie he was in because he so was I... straight up mugging for the camera every step of the way Oh, 100%. But I think part of part of that is that he made a deal with, and I don't know if you saw this when looking stuff up. I, I, I found it while looking stuff up. John Carpenter made a deal with James Woods because James Woods doesn't like scripts. 
he's a very like unscripted actor. He'd rather yeah, just very improv-y kind of guy. Yeah, he'd rather just do what he wants to do. So John Carpenter make a, made a deal with him that said, okay, well, you have to stick to at least 50% of the script. The other 50%, you can do what you want, which the movie kind of feels that way. <laughs> yeah, because there's times that feels like this is very John Carpenter, and then there's other moments that feels like this is very James Woods-ish. Yeah. Um, so that, but I that, did, I did read that. I did read that somewhere. Yeah. But I, I, one of the first things I noticed too, was the the color grading, obviously everybody has high definition TVs now. And this movie was filmed. Doesn't feel like that long ago, but it really was. It was 98. Um, yeah. I mean, 22 years ago, that's, that, that's half my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause it, time is so weird. Cause it's like, oh yeah, no, that wasn't that. Oh no, it was that long ago. Okay. But um, watching it on the high def TV, like the first thing that caught me was the color grading. Like it's very like blue, teal, green saturation. Yeah. We had watched it on a regular like DVD, not on Blu-ray or anything, but I I thought it still looked very good. No, no, it still looks really good. It's just, it was, it was stark to see on, we have like a really like, not bragging but we just have a really big high def tv and so seeing that like that's those stark colors i was like i bet on a tiny little tv in 98 this looked awesome oh yeah <laughs> I, oh it was it looked this shit on fucking uh, back then yeah, yeah. 98 <laughs> you know on a little like tube style television top notch <laughs> like i wish i had like a tube tv so i can watch this and actually appreciate it <laughs> but I love some of those opening shots, you know, that okay. those very sweeping aerial point of view shots. It just feels very, you know, like instead of seeing, you know, the the vampire hunter or slayer van and their armada of vehicles, you know, driving okay. to the location, it could have easily been, you know, gunslingers on horseback. It, it, right. it had that Absolutely. feel to it. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I thought was, was interesting. Um, so Daniel Baldwin's in the film. He plays uh, Montoya. I think I have that yes. written down. Yes, Anthony yeah, Montoya. Montoya. So I like his character. He's. I feel like all of the Baldwins back in the day were very attractive. Like all of them. Like their youth was very nice to them. Yeah, in in their youth they were very uh, suave. Guys. Yeah. So he he you know he looks super handsome, very rugged, whatever. It blows my mind that Alec Baldwin passed the role to him though. I did not know that until yesterday when I was yeah. looking up on Wikipedia stuff that I one for one can't see Alec Baldwin in that role. Yeah. I just all. can't see it. But like Daniel Baldwin totally owned it and good for Alec for passing, you know, a role onto his brother. You know, they're yeah. not known for being the most brotherly love kind of family and whatnot. Not you know, even a this little con- bit now. <laughs> but he was just like, you know, yeah, I got to pass on this. But hey, my, you know, my younger brother might be into it. Yeah. So, you really know, cool. yeah, it was. So my question for you in that, too, just talking about Montoya, is uh, Bruce Campbell was in the running to play Montoya. How do you think that would have changed the film with James Woods? I think, I don't think their character I, characters would have uh, meshed together yeah. very well because I, I love Bruce Campbell. And he has a very sarcastic, very witty kind of thing about him. And I think that would have clashed 
a lot with James Woods because James Woods, I don't think would have uh, would have taken kindly to somebody trying to upstage him. <laughs> We're not even so much somebody trying to upstage him, just being better at the job than he is. Right. And when I, I would have loved just... to have seen Bruce Campbell in this role, however. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was looking at the details and I saw that he was one of the considerations to play Montoya, I was like, dang, that would have been a whole different film. Oh, yeah. Like and I would have loved to have seen that. Film. You know, and then, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you go first. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I just just knew that, like, uh, they'd had such a great working relationship on Escape from L.A. between Bruce and, and, and Carpenter yeah. that I knew he, how much he wanted him for this movie. But damn, like, like in an right. alternate reality, I would love to see what that movie would have looked like with Bruce. Right. And then even I know that obviously some directors just have actors that they prefer working with. Carpenter really loves Kurt Russell. Um, so a Kurt Russell, Bruce Campbell mix would have been really interesting. But the alternative that I would like to play in my head is Carpenter also, also wanted Arlie Ermy to play Crow. I had saw that. That would have been interesting. Arlie Ermy and Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to like 98 and fidget with some casting and reset this movie and come Blitz back to the present. Matrix and just yeah. see what happens. Right. Arlie Ermey and Bruce Campbell. Do you think like, do you think a film could even contain those two individuals I mean, on screen at the same time? I don't know. Apparently it was the studio that was like, no, Arlie Ermey can't do this. He is not made for this type of film. No, hard no. Which I think it would have been a challenge. Arlie Ermey, he's always known for like the screaming drill sergeant, whatever. But I think it would have pushed him to do something really interesting. And we might have had, well, James Woods, Woods, and we'll get into it when we get into like the meat of it. He has a good range of emotions across his face. Sometimes it feels very forced or faked in the film. Yeah, like he's mugging yeah. the camera, so to speak. Yeah. Um. And some of the action feels for us like, we'll, we'll, I'm just going to touch on it because we'll get into it. Like when he is in the hotel and they're facing the master vampire and he goes to like jump shoot, but he ends up jump shooting forward. But then the camera catches his back hitting this, the, like his back is facing the dude and he hits the, I don't know. It was weird. So I feel like. Oh yeah. When he actually lands on his own crossbow. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. That that shot was weird and it didn't line up. But we'll like like I said, we'll get into it later. But just to right. picture in my head like Arlie Ermy trying to do that, I feel like we would have gotten more raw emotion. And it probably would have felt completely different. I don't know. That's that's the alternative that I keep in my head is Arlie Ermy and Bruce Campbell as the two mains. Right, right. <laughs> I I, I totally agree. I would have loved to, in an alternate reality, that'd have been yeah. something. That would have been weird, but I'm down for it. But, you know, the funny that you mentioned Kurt Russell, because about third of the way down my first page of notes, I put I had a note here that just said Jack Crow dash should have been Kurt Russell all the time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but I, I'm sure after uh, Escape from L.A., he's like, yeah, we're, we're, I'm not going to do another John Carpenter movie, at least not just yet. I can still hold up that one day we'll get a third Snake Plissken film, but uh, I'm right. sure that that uh, that is past. But anyway, now, I I couldn't find out why what happened or why Kurt Russell wasn't brought in. I don't know if it was 
a scheduling conflict or the studio was like, this is who you only work with. You need to work with other people. Cause I know the studio is the one that suggested James Woods. Yes. Well, I know I had read somewhere that like Kurt Russell was, there was a scheduling issue. Like he was uh, John Carpenter's first choice, but he was already like in the midst of shooting something. I don't remember what it was at the time. So I'm sure that, you know, again, that was probably, John Carpenter's first choice. And plus, I'm sure the studio was just like, yeah, you know, Escape from L.A. didn't do so good. Maybe you guys need to, you know, have a break from each other. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure know. we'll never know, but we got the movie that we got. We did get the movie, but, and it's not a bad film. No, it, it's not. It, it's a good film. It, it just, it's not a, uh, it's not a great film. There's a difference, you know, between being a good film and a great film. And right. it falls just shy of being great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love, it got I, rave reviews. Like, um, oh, who was it? We looked it up and I didn't write it down. I can't find it in my notes. Um, a reviewer was recommended. Cisco, James, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. It was one of the two. Um, recommended James Woods for an Oscar for his performance. And I was like, I think that's pushing it. But that's, that, that's really <laughs> stretching for it. I mean, I'd be all all about, you know, a horror movie like this, you know, getting a, an Oscar nomination for acting. But no, no, not not, yeah. a, not an Oscar. No. <laughs> I thought that was so weird. I was like, what did he did he watch the same movie that we watched? Right. Like... right. Did he have a couple of mimosas before he you know, reviewed it or something? <laughs> Somebody spike his tea like, geez, that's uh, weak tea. That's very his weak, weak tea. tea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the opening scene, when they're setting up, they're they're gearing up and they're talking yeah. about vampires. At first, they don't even mention the word vampires. They refer to them as goons, yep. which I like. I like the, 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 you know, I love any kind of movie that creates some sort of its own lingo about, you know, right. vampires, zombies, or just, you know, whatever that the movie is centered upon. I, I love when it kind of creates its own lingo like that. But they have some very unusual gear. And it's obvious they have money, which we'll find out later on that is funded by the Catholic Church. So they got big money. They got big money. And it's a ragtag system, you know, a, a ragtag group. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you got a couple of guys that, you know, look like bikers and a couple of guys that look very clean cut and whatnot. But it's a very ragtag group, but they have a system. It's, yes. it's a weird system of how they, how they, uh, I, I don't get it. I, I don't, I, I would have loved to like hear some backstory of how they decided to go with the system of, you know, Jack Crow being the lead, you know, right. skewering the, the vampires with a crossbow and then dragging them out with uh, Montoya's Jeep on a pulley system. Right. I, I mean, it's a system that seems to work for them, but it's, I don't know. Again, it's, it's really weird. I, I, I feel like every step of the way, James Woods is just mugging for the camera. And really he's just like, like, look at me. I'm an action star. <laughs> yeah. Which honestly, to me, with his his leathers and his no ass and his jeans, he just felt pompous. Yeah, you know, couldn't they have gotten something to pad his, you know, his undershirt or his his leather Nothing, jacket? With because, the... like, even when he takes off his jacket, he's just got noodle arms, and you're like, we're supposed to take this 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 badass, this big buff quote unquote dude who's throwing vampires around, and he looks like a string bean. <laughs> right. Otherworldly like, strength with noodle arms. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, 
Like yeah. I, I feel like the whole time he's trying to do his best Nicolas Cage impersonation, and I keep thinking to myself, yeah. Nicolas Cage would have been much, be- much better in this role too. Yeah. Um, so when they they go into the nest, the quote unquote nest, I I straight up got Ghost Rider vibes. Like straight up Ghost Rider, <laughs> Nick Cage, crazy vibes. Especially Ghost Rider Two when he's like super insane. That's oh, yeah. that's what I got. That those were the vibes I Me got. Me too. And I love that. Uh, we might as well get into the you know the protagonists of this movie. This movie, the vampires themselves. Yeah, I love how they're portrayed. I you know John Carpenter had said you know I found in an interview was that he didn't want them to be brooding gothic creatures. He wanted them to be visceral, vicious, bloodthirsty, and just there to tear people apart. I love the fact that he went that route, and which is kind of like the route that they went in the mid to late 90s right. with movies like this. And um, one we just covered on the show uh, here recently, uh, From Dust Till Dawn, where oh, they're more so monsters. Yeah. As, yeah, you know, they're not the Savelt sleek and smooth Bella Lugosi Christopher Lee kind of characters these are just straight up monsters yep and you can't defeat these things easily you know you empty machine gun into them yeah you're, you're tearing them up but you're really just pissing them off yeah so of course I have I'm oh how do I say this I love vampire films probably more than anybody should um like, nothing I wrong could, with that I could watch Strictly, I think it's because at a very, very young age, my first vampire film was Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I watched oh, it till I warped. Film. Yeah, gorgeous film. I watched it till I warped my VCH uh, VCS tape. <laughs> if that tells you anything, so I, my youth, my very goth youth, was vampires. Um, so my my one pet peeve in any vampire film, and I understand that they do it for cinematic whatever, but when vampires' teeth are so long that they can't close their mouths. Oh yeah. So my one when pet peeve. When it just looks like they all have an overbite. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure, fangs are supposed to. They're supposed to look scary and and whatever and whatever, but they don't need to be that big. <laughs> that. And do they need to have a mouthful of like shark-like jaws teeth? That every teeth have to be sharpened, you know, you know, yeah. and pointy. But it's like I can't imagine, like from an acting standpoint, how uncomfortable it must be to wear those mouthpieces like that. Yeah, completely. Because you, you're one, you're drooling all over yourself because you have no choice. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and and I, 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 I have to agree with you. Like with. The, this mouthful of rows of shark-like teeth, you know what I mean? Yeah. If they can't close their mouth, how do they actually bite down and open their mouth exactly. wide enough to even take a bite out of anything? And the thing that I I think that works for vampire films that that don't do that over dramatic tooth is that it makes it feel more real. It gives it an uncanny valley feeling because while they are monsters, they look human, and that's unsettling. <laughs> So I right my my one pet peeve just my one pet peeve. Right. Um, oh, I get that. I get that too. I have the same problem with werewolf movies, but we'll get into that an, another time. Another time. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem that I have with werewolf movies. But oh yeah, that's that's an issue for another day. But I I I do like the relationship in this between Montoya and um and Crow. Uh, 
the no not Crow but Montoya and Father Giovanni uh, that they yeah. all just refer to as Padre because you know Montoya has his little earpiece and he's you know he's talking with everybody inside as you know because he's the outside liaison that's dragging right. the vampires out in the daylight. And I love that the fact that as soon as they hit daylight, these sons of bitches just explode into flame. It's not like they start mm-hmm. smoking or nothing. They just instantly, they explode. Yep. But I love, like, as he's like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, Padre. Give me a fucking second here, you know? <laughs> just right. Just their rapport. There is a certain underlying humor to this that is yeah. present in almost all John Carpenter movies. And I like, I like that yeah. the, even in, into his later years of filmmaking from the seventies to you know, almost the year 2000 with this, that that was not, uh, that wasn't a dead thing, you know, that that was still th- there. And I do like the part. Now this will come into something later on because we were talking about a certain, uh, not love triangle, but a love interest thing that goes on with this movie later on yeah. that I, I think I picked up on something that, with this last viewing that um, might explain this. But when uh, they said they, that Mark Boone, Mark uh, Boone Jr.'s character, Catelyn, yeah. you know, says, Hey, we got a female goon. And he's like, okay. And he's like, don't worry. We're, we'll save her for you, Montoya. And I kind of, th- I'm just planting that in your head at, yeah. for something that'll come later on. But I, I love, you know, after they get all the, this done, they empty the, the, the nest, as they call it, of all the yep. goons, which I think they said they had eight or nine Something different like that, goons. But they couldn't find the quote unquote master. Yeah, the master never leaves a nest. Well, as the the group is driving away, we see there is a freshly dug grave that just as they're driving away, the hands come up very be- Bella Lugosi Lugosi ish, you know, yeah. coming up and just out of the ground. I love that shot. That was kind of like the one real classic kind of vampire thing they did. The kind of classic gothic vampire thing. Totally. But then we get the, what I love. I, I, I know this was just done as a wink and a nod, you know, to like, hey, look at us. We're making a vampire movie. But the Sun God Hotel. Right. I, was, yeah. I, just, put, I just put in my notes, Sun God Hotel, question mark, laugh my ass off. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know who thought of that, but it, it was good. I enjoy, I enjoyed that. So my question for you is, what did you think while they were in the house doing the, the sting operation? What did you think of the team? Did you feel like they were a well-oiled machine or do you feel like it kind of felt like their first rodeo? It felt like their first rodeo. Yeah, it, did, it, didn't, it felt like, a, or Lisa, it, it felt like a well-oiled machine that had been out of commission for a while. Like, like this was like almost like a getting the band back together and we're shaking the rust off. Like they had done this before, but they were very rusty. They were like especially, rusty. you know, when Jack Crow is just like, "Be careful with that door," you know, "Be quiet," and then the guy just yanks it open and makes a whole bunch of noise, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, boss." And right. Kind of like, and they, I feel like the team also had a bunch of just stereotypes within the team. Like you have your token Native American, you have your token obviously Asian oriented character, which kills me because that was, that's Sang Chung. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Harry Tagawa. Tagawa. Yeah. Yeah. Shang Tsung. And he's been in a ton of movies. I just watched him in uh rising sun with Sean Connery. He, did you know know that he felt slighted in that film because he thought that his character was going to have a bigger role and it was literally right after mortal Kombat. Yeah, because he had asked, uh, I, I had read on the IMDb that he had asked 
John Carpenter what his backstory was and what his motivation was, and John Carpenter just kind of blew it off. So like, he, you don't have any, just act. Yeah, just act, <laughs> just just do the job. And I, I could imagine, I mean, because as quickly to be, I mean, we're not ruining any anything here because we're gonna we're always just literally right there, shit. yeah, yeah. Like within minutes, all these guys end up dead. Yeah, you know, nobody makes it. Yeah, everybody in the team but Montoya and Crow. You know, because. Yeah, it, it just felt like, you know, for a role like that for Carrie Takawa, that, yeah, it should have been more substantial. And Mark what? Boone Jr. is such a great character actor, you know, with everything that he's done. He yeah. felt a little wasted as well. So I kind of feel like there's a lot that happens in this film. And it does it does go kind of quick. But I feel like if we had a little bit more exposition about the team or just a little bit about them or, or something... Like Montoya and Padre could have been talking about the team or something just to give us something. So we, we feel some sort of connection that way when they die, it's not just, Oh, they were okay. That was third team member from the left that just bought it. Yeah. Well, like there's the, the scene that we're getting into here next with the sun God hotel there. celebrating you know you know wiping out a nest so they rented out this whole hotel the the cops have you know been as they put it you know buying out liquor stores and renting hookers for these guys right and i and and you know there's a couple of a bits of exposition when the hookers ask like daniel baldwin and mark boone jr boone jr what they do for a living they're just like yeah we kill vampires and then we hunt them yeah. down we fuck them up we do this and there's just some dialogue that's really throwaway. Yeah, where they could have been like, you know, we met 18 years ago when so and so's husband, you know, or wife had been killed by a, you know, a vampire. So that's why I do it, or you know, something, anything that could have been. We get the backstory for Crow, but really nobody else. Yeah, like we don't get anything for Montoya, even though he's essentially a second lead. Um, even the backstory for Crow, I feel, was lackluster. So like while that works in some films where you're just kind of thrown into it and you're expected to know things, I think this film particularly would have, would have done better just to have a little bit of something for the other members. That way when they are off, we feel, we feel Crow's rage. We understand like why he's so upset. Yeah. There just was nothing really there to connect the group. It, just, it felt like very throwaway in the end. And, you know, like I said, most of the time I'm the type of guy who says a movie needs 15 to 20 minutes cut out of it. Right. But I felt like an extra 10 to 15 minutes in this case added to the movie could have benefited the film. Yeah. I feel like that would have completely I wanted... added something to it that would have just made it feel more real, I guess. And yeah, a little more real, a little less uh, comic bookish, I guess. Yeah, you know? a little bit more westerny and a little less horror-y, I guess. Poss- possibly. <laughs> I mean, I feel like because obviously Crow gets very upset with everything that happened, like very upset, and it's overset upset that's almost over the top, considering we know nothing about these people. Yes, they mean something to his character, like when they go back and everything and whatever, whatever. Which we'll get into here in a second, but like, I wish that I could have known. Well, why why was he so mad when this dude got killed, or why was he so mad when this guy had his heart ripped out? Yeah, like why was he so upset when Padre gets his you know brains blowed out? Yeah, 
because well we'll get into it right now um they have a short time to celebrate the guys are all celebrating getting rowdy getting drunk they're all getting laid and then the master shows up and you know he's there for vengeance and i i didn't quite understand the purpose of the master like i know him showing up and getting vengeance for them wiping out you know his pack But he decides to go to Jack Crow's room where uh, Cheryl Lee is Katrina. I love her in this. Cheryl Lee is so intense. She was channeling her work on Twin Peaks in this movie. Like, just. 100% agree. Yeah, she is the. Her and Daniel Baldwin, and at least this is just my opinion, are the two shining stars of this movie, like, performance wise. They really are. I would agree with that 100%. Like their their acting doesn't feel forced. It feels very fluid. It, very natural. Like, yeah, and they well, I and we'll get into it again. Like we that I feel like that's our catchphrase. We'll get into it. But like <laughs> their love thing which I felt was very weird which makes sense after you brought it up which again, we'll towards the end. But like even all of that, their tension, the way that they looked at each other, just everything. Like, they clearly had a connection on set that just worked. Yes. Yeah, I instantly felt that. Now, I felt like at first, like, the, the love thing felt forced. But I'll get into why I'm now on the fence with uh, being able to justify it. But, right. But we're getting a little a little ahead of ourselves. But yeah, the a little vampire, ahead. Vampire... <clears throat> Excuse me. Valak shows up, and I love the introduction of him in this scene when yes. Cheryl Lee walks into the hotel room, and the camera just sort of pans up a little bit, and he's just like plastered to the ceiling, almost in like the a crucifixion type pose. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he's you think he's going down on her yeah. until you see that he's bitten her on the inside of her thigh, yeah. and you know now she's quote unquote going to change and everything. He's turning her. Now, I wonder why you do think like Valak's intentions or at least, you know, the intention in the screenplay was that he felt like he would, you know, he needed a familiar or he was just trying to. uh, Re up on his his pack now that, you know, all his goons have been killed, why he didn't. I don't know. I, I just felt like it was a weird thing for him to do to change her. It was almost like. I don't know. I just didn't quite get it. I I felt like it was just a plot device. Well, what I think, yes, but if I'm looking at it from the film's perspective, we know that Valak was there and he was most likely watching them because vampires just watch everything from the shadows. He may have seen her with Crow and like put it like one, one and two together, even though not knowing that she was literally just a prostitute hired in to entertain but she was hanging on Crow initially. So he could have seen that possibly and thought, let me get someone close to him. Who knows? Because, I mean, he does say, Valak does say uh, Crow's name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that here right now. Like within moments after Valak turning and bite, biting and turning Katrina, uh, Mark. Boone Jr.'s character, Catelyn, is, they're running out of beer. He's like, I got beer. You know, we got beer in the other room. And he opens the door to be met face-to-face with Valak, who just stands up, stabs him in the stomach with his hand and his yep. claws, 
and splits him in two straight up the middle. And I love it. Needs some great KMB special effects as only KMB can do them when he splits open. And it's just complete and utter chaos from there. And this is where I felt like either the team really wasn't the high oil or the well-oiled machine that they were, or they were just really, really drunk because he takes out that team pretty damn easy. Quick, super quick. You know, I mean, even uh, Crow, when he tries to make like that, that jump across the room and he hits the wall, gets impaled on his own crossbow in his shoulder and messes himself up. Uh, but but when he... That shot. <laughs> yeah, that shot. You know, this movie has some really well choreographed action in it and, and, and a lot of sequences, but that was not one of the, the, the high moments. You know, like the scene at the end with the... Uh, Crow being crucified. We'll get to that oh later God. on, but I know which one you're talking about. Yes. You're thinking of. <laughs> so, so th- that scene where he, he comes in, and so it's him and Montoya, and he sees Valak. So actually, I'm, I'm going to back that up. So I don't remember which character it is. I'm so sorry I didn't write it down. But one of the characters has, like, I don't know, a machine gun and is shooting Valak. Pet peeve number one. Valak is taking these shots, and there is a hooker hiding behind him. We know that bullets travel. Why was she not hit by any of them? I don't know. I made a note of that, too, because especially a point-blank range like that, you know, those bullets would have went through him and probably most likely even her to, to hit the wall behind him. Yeah. Because but later no, she's on, just, he... She's just hiding. <laughs> she's, yeah, just... she's just hiding. Well, <laughs> it's just, it's, there's some moments that are very well choreographed and then some moments that are just like, Huh? Right. What, what so that goes here? into the to the next one. So then he Valak puts his hand through the dude and like kills another person and then like throws it, a hot mess. So Crow and Montoya come in and Valak turns around and so they're at the door and there's a dresser. And we know as as a filmmaker, and I'm sure that you've like you could see it too. So we know that this is probably a three shot thing for, for Crow looking jumping in the air and landing it's probably how it went three shots so we see crow at the door with his his gun and we see valak just like open up his arms like go ahead and shoot me it's not gonna hurt me i'm a badass i'm a vampire rar yeah take your best shot kid um and then we see the very stereotypical action shot of jumping to the side and shooting which cool (laughs) Right, I'm on board. I'm I'm here yeah. with it. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm 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 up for a little John Woo action in a, in a vampire right. movie. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it because like cool. But then the shot of them landing, instead of him landing facing the camera, which would have been him facing Valak in the room, he has now thrown his other shoulder, has his back to Valak, and lands into the dresser. So you mean to tell me James Woods is an acrobat? He he jumped, shot the dude, <laughs> rolled in the air, did a half twist, and then landed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, what they're trying to, that's, a, that's the, the lie they're trying to perpetuate Ten points. here. That's, that's what Valak was giving him. He was, that's why his hands was out. Ten points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was just like, yeah. He was almost probably ready to clap and be like, <laughs> very good. Like, I'm impressed. So but I mean, the creepy part comes, though. When, when he calls him out by name, I think that's the part that, like, it even takes the audience by surprise as much as it takes uh, Jack Crow by surprise. 
you know, it's just like when he's like Jack Crow, and I'm like, oh, like I remember first time watching this, I'm like, oh, this guy, this, this, the, the, the master knows his name. This cannot be good. Right. And that was my initial thought watching it too. Um, the first time, and I've watched this movie a dozen times just because it's horrible and I love it. But <laughs> it's a guilt. This is a movie that I consider a guilty pleasure. A hundred percent guilty pleasure. Second one though is a lot better, but I'll get into that later. Um, oh, the Los Muertos. Yes. Ah, yeah. I'm gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. I don't. I've watched that movie once. Maybe I need to give it a. A second viewing, but I was I'm not a I, I will just fan say, of John Bon Jovi. See, I feel like he did a better job than James Woods. You know, maybe in retrospect that's true. <laughs> but neither here nor there. Um both films are great in their own different ways. Um wait, 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 gotta ask one question. Have you seen the third movie? I have not, no. Vampires the Turning. Mm-mm. It's uh it's about a kickboxer like in Thailand that joins up with a group of vampire hunters. It has very little to do with either movie. There's no returning characters. It's 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 a just sequel by only name. by just by name alone. And, uh, and maybe you know seek it out as an oddity to to see, but Possibly. it's not very good. So the, and then the other thing I have noted here is you can so the makeup is good. We have we have we have pros and cons with the makeup. A lot of the effects makeup spot on, looks great, like yes. the over the top um, wounds, the head heads being removed, even the vampires exploding. Like knowing the effects that I do and knowing what that took, I'm here for it, hundred mm-hmm. uh, yeah. percent. But then you have things like Valak's makeup, where he has like the veining coming down, and there was in the low light spectacular looks great makes him look very menacing in the bedroom when he's jack crow you could see every pore on this dude's face you can tell where they stopped blending the white (laughs) (laughs) it looks so chalky i was just like the veins look very drawn on and not realistic at all (laughs) yeah i was like choices were made and that's okay right (laughs) That was a moment when they're like, okay, we need to have this effect ready uh, in 10 minutes. We've all been there. <laughs> we needed it 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. And the makeup artist is like, shit. Okay, pat, 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 pat. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck blending. What do we mean? Blending, schmending. Who cares? Just get it on their face. <laughs> <laughs> just draw on the goddamn vein on their face. How hard is it? I'll show you how I hard mean, it is. It right? And so that was my, and then there's one effect later, way, way later into the film that like, again, working in film and doing effects that I was like, I see the edge. They could have powdered that. <laughs> that was called, they needed to get three more shots done before they lost daylight. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's when Montoya's in the car towards the end where he has that neck wound. Oh, the big hole like ripped out of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in you you have, I guess you have to look for it, but I specifically try to look for things like that because obviously I want, I want to be better than that. I, I always want to be better than the effects that I'm seeing in films that have been out. Um, right. So he's got, he's got just a little bit of an edge where you can tell that they laid the prosthetic down. And I was like, man, a little bit of, a little bit of isopropyl alcohol and literally baby powder would have made that seamless. 
Yeah, well, I felt like there's two different scenes. Like, he gets bit, then it cuts back to Jack Crow and what he has going on. Then when it cuts back to him, there's not a lot of consistency between the neck wound wow. in the previous scene to the secondary scene. No, it definitely is definitely two two different prosthetics. But, but that's yeah, us jumping way yeah, ahead. Yeah, done Let's on two different about makeup. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay hey we don't have to go into totally linear linear fashion here at all and then my note that i have after that is james woods is so one note <laughs> oh yeah i have a lot of notes here that start with fucking james woods and then dash something else like fucking james woods should have been kurt russell fucking james yeah. woods why is he trying to do nicholas cage and but yeah no i <sighs> Well, the, the one thing that I have with the, 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 the following scene is Valak lets them escape. Yeah. He, he really had no other people. There was, what, like one other guy with a machine gun to kill, and as quickly he was taking everybody out. He essentially lets Montoya and Crow escape with Katrina and get into their car. And it seems to be this big scene, big thing of, like, James Woods is just like, drive faster, punch it. Come on, let's go. And, you know, and Daniel Baldwin is just like, yeah, I've I'm, I'm got it going as fast as it's going to go. If these vampires are so fast, if the master is so fast to catch up with the truck, why did he let them go in the first place? And and let's face it, you know, Montoya has that big, huge, dirty, hairy hand cannon, you know, yeah. that he, he blasts him in the face. That would, you know, I, I just kind of like the fact that, like, all it takes is one well-placed bullet to, to the brain pan to take the master out of commission for a second. Right. But the next no <laughs> note I have is... One, nice driving. Also, nice fucking transition from night to immediate day. Yeah. You know, like, they're just driving, and all of a sudden, James looks, looks up and's like, oh, look out! Because they're driving so fast, they come up over the hill, and there's, like, a truck in the middle of the road yeah. think, with a trailer. And, of course, like, they they do the tuck and roll. They they, they drive off the really side. good, a really good, well-placed flip. Yeah, it's a really good stunt. But, like, they all would have been dead. Oh, 100%. They all would have been thrown from the vehicle, but no, like, nobody's wearing seatbelts. They roll the car with, like, several times and destroy the vehicle. Yeah. But And then they all get out and they walk it off. Yeah, they just got, you know, a little blood, uh, you know, uh, the the obligatory, you know, cut above, above the eyebrow. You know, yeah. not to mention that they would have a concussion or anything. No, they just get a little bonk on the head and they're... But I love, like, a Montoya, you know, when... uh Jack Crow gets out and he's like trying to get everybody motivated to keep moving. And Montoya's just like, well, this ain't my fucking first time to dance. Let's go. You're like, no, yeah. you you would be going, ow, my back, my neck, my neck and my back. Yeah. Um, I will say that I do. I, I Initially, when they're getting ready to leave and they're grabbing Katrina, I really hate, hate um, how James Woods just refers to her like she's not human. I get that that's part of the character because she was a prostitute, but like, damn it, man, you don't have to be like this fucking useless whore or whatever. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it comes off very, uh, very anti-woman, you know, it it's does. Just, his character does. And My I know what they probably meant it to be more like anti-vampire. Cause he figures, Oh, she's been, right. cause like when they first go to grab her, he goes to grab her and sees that she's been bitten. He just kind of jumps back. Like, like he's sickened. Like, Oh yeah. She's been like bit. she's disgusting. Like, Which, you know, sure, but my note here says lady abuse <laughs> in, yeah. like, big, bold well, letters. When they first start walking down the highway, 
they're walking and for no reason he just shoves her and knocks her down to her feet just for no reason like if it had been different if he she had tried to swing on him or bite him or something but no they're just walking down the street and he shoves her and this is where they really start to show i think is at least at the beginning of that montoya is kind of a softy because he stops and helps her up you know I put a note here and I'm going to, I'm going to say it and you're going to see it. So that long shot of them walking, I said, Oh, Hey, is this the devil's rejects? <laughs> you, you know, Rob Zombie might've been uh, influenced. You know how he loves to borrow from other stuff. So yeah. So Maybe. like, that's what I said. I was like, we have, cause Captain the beginning Spaulding of the Firefly the was, family. Yeah. was, was a chunky motherfucker. You have someone who thinks it's a badass, So Otis, and then you have a blonde who's, kind of just going around so like you have the fireflies right there i was just like this is very telling <laughs> but it was re- i thought it was cool I yeah me cool. too but this happens to be follows up with my favorite scene or at least my favorite sequence when they're sitting down on the side of the road at a mm-hmm. little roadside you know grease stain of a, of a gas station waiting for somebody to come by with a vehicle that they can you know just take and I love that badass music. Uh, I, when I was writing my first feature film, all I listened to was John Carpenter soundtracks. And one of the ones that was on, he- this is one of the ones that was on heavy rotation when I wrote Postmortem America. Right. So like, this this brings back memories. But I love that badass music as it's playing when Daniel Baldwin's just walking up, he's got his gun behind his back, and he leans into the car to look at it. And the guy that's like, you know, gassing up his car is like, Hey, can I help you? He's like, yeah, I'm going to be borrowing your car. He's like, excuse me. He's like, and I love the line. He's like, just say help yourself. And, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what? And then he, you know, Baldwin instantly turns on. He's like, hey, back the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. They're all blow your brains out the back of your yeah. motherfucking head. And he's like, whoa. And he's like, just help yourself, boy. He's like, much yeah. obliged. There's just something about yeah. that sequence that I just love. And I, I now that really I know it was supposed Montoya, to be Alec like... Baldwin. Yeah. And I know that I know that it was originally supposed to be Alec Baldwin. I keep picturing Alec Baldwin like I want somebody to do a deep fake video and superimpose <laughs> Alec Baldwin's face on his brother's body <laughs> for this movie. I That's would be funny. totally down for that. Now, I will say with that scene, well, I, I did enjoy that because like I felt like it was that felt a little bit more real. Right. Like you just you don't necessarily want to intimidate somebody right away with the gun. Like you're just like, give me your car. And he's like, what? And then you you get some pushback. So that felt real. And and uh, Montoya's acting, so Daniel's acting was very, that felt very natural. But then he brings the car around yeah. to James Woods and Katrina. Um, and, like, the way that they try to shove Katrina in the car felt really awkward. <laughs> like they had like, never done this before? <laughs> like they didn't block that before doing it or something. Because it was very weird. Yeah, it felt like they were scrambling just to make it work and get the shot they needed before the end of the day. And that could like have been didn't... it. Like, that could have absolutely been it. But it, it I don't know. That, yeah, there, that... was, there was no rehearsal for that. I don't know. That that felt weird, and I, I laughed at it because I was just like, look at these goof, this well-oiled machine of goofballs. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, <laughs> even. like, just get into the clown car and let's go, guys. Like, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> you know, and then my like... note with that, too, was because James Woods is sitting there holding, you know, Katrina slightly, basically disgusted. But she's woozy from losing blood and being drunk. And now she's not slept and she's been thrown around and whatever. 
My note right. here says James Woods wanted this role to do an action film finally, which feels really forced. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Like, I think he felt like this might be the movie that was going to define the latter half of his career. And he was given it, he was given it everything, but I just don't think he knew how to, how to really give it to, to be quite honest. Yeah, it, it missed. And then in the car, um, when they're driving down the road before they get back to the, the sun God hotel or motel, um, <laughs> uh, Baldwin looks at the camera and, it just looks real moody. And I was like, damn, he kind of looks like a moody Elvis. <laughs> yeah, because he does have the sideburns, doesn't he? Yeah, and he has like the little swoop in the front. Yeah. It just before uh, old old age and yeah, too many brewskis it just turned him into I, I don't I don't know what it turned him into. Yeah, I don't <laughs> But no, I was like, that's kind of like and I think that's what in my head was like, you know, this this dude is attractive. So yeah, this is actually yeah. really a really good role for him. He's got a very, br- you know that the the lights were bright and everything with the color grading just made his eyes way more blue. So it was just I feel like again yeah. Montoya stole the show for me. You're right. Yeah. Same here. Him and Cheryl Lee upstage uh, James Woods at, at every step of the way. A hundred percent. But the next scene at the Sun God Hotel is also a part where there's some some great special effects where mm-hmm. James Woods as Jack Crow has to finish off the team before they all you know come back and turn. So he has to stake them all in the heart. He has to remove all their heads. And I felt like the scene, like it was already a very powerful scene as it was, yeah. but like having that extra exposition that it should have and could have had. to make that a more, you know, more hurtful on his part, you know, like we're like, okay, this is painful. He's cutting off all the heads of all his team members, you right. know, and that but, would have been a perfect time for like flashbacks of like them being buddy, buddy, chummy together, doing things. Yeah. And, you know, drinking some beers, playing some cards or enjoying, you know, some downtime or something, but no, they just go right for the gruesome factor. And this is the part where I have, it has the action part, the action scene, you know, that every action hero has to have where he sets fire to everything and walks away from the place as it explodes behind him. Yeah. But you tell they had to get it in one take because they weren't going to get this place exploding, you know, more right. than once. But like James Wood totally just doesn't sell it. You know, he walks away and he does the whole jerk as the explosion happens. <laughs> and is this like, yep. nope, that, that was the take we got. And that is the only what take we're, we're going to have. So my my note there. So actually, so I watched it with my Daniel. Um, and he was like, why is he? Why doesn't he just burn the bodies? And I was like, vampire lore says you have to stake the, stake the heart or remove the heart and remove the head, burn the bodies and put the head in a different body of water and the body in a different body of water if you can. And he was like, you know too much about vampires. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> I do. Yep. Um, but so aside from that, one of my notes was bef- as James is throwing the gas around, how did he not catch fire? Because he was throwing it in front of him. Like he is walking while he's dropping it. So, you know, that would have dropped on him instead oh, yeah. of like his legs were covered. Instead of, because you know how, like in films, if you're you're dropping gasoline or you're doing whatever, you generally walk backwards, so it's behind you. Mm-hmm. 
no, he's he's just straight up throwing it in front of him, walking towards the camera, and it's it's going everywhere. Well, yeah, he's walking through puddles of it, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> he my, should have my... caught on fire too. <laughs> Not only should it have caught on fire, but here's here's my issue with this: he does the most lazy burying of the heads. I like a burying of a body, you know, that I've ever yes. seen. Because, like, you know, in the meanwhile, Montoya is what to, you know, the neighboring town and got a hotel for him and Katrina. He's, like, listening to the news or watching the news. I can't remember. And, like, the body, you know, the the Sun God Hotel, the massacre at the Sun God Hotel, you know, where the bodies were all found burnt to a crisp with the heads removed. And the heads were found less than a mile away. So, like, really, he drove, he blew the place up. And as it's on fire, he only buried the bodies, you know, the heads one mile away he couldn't have driven further away to like bury the evidence and you know he just threw the heads into a little crevice in the ground and just started kind of shoveling the dirt around them right a a, a blind boy scout could have like found those heads (laughs) i mean he literally found he didn't dig a hole he found a crevice straddled that crevice and then threw dirt on it yeah. That felt so like this film I don't feel like I don't I'd have to look it up. Didn't feel that low budget to me and that felt very low budget. Low budget. One thing I did find out about this uh with only I think a few weeks or a month or so before filming was supposed to start they cut the budget by 2 thirds. Hmm. Like I don't know yeah. what the budget was. I thought I had read somewhere that their budget was originally going to be somewhere around thirty million or so. So if, if that's correct, and they did cut the budget by two thirds, I mean the budget was only like ten or twelve million dollars, which uh, twenty thousand by studio standards no, twenty twenty million yeah. estimated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they cut the budget by two thirds, they were probably scrambling just to try to make it work. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I looked it up really quick. I pulled it up. So budget was. Uh, $20,000 or 20, God, I could never do this. 20, <laughs> 20, million. Like 20 million. Yeah. 20 mil. Um, it only grossed essentially what it made or what it cost to make the film. Like $308,000 huh. more than that. And, and which surprises me that they made an official sequel and not alone, but another spinoff movie with the yeah. movie that didn't really, you know, didn't really, you know, gross that much been different if it had made double or triple its budget back but that's that's actually surprises me opening weekend so november 1st 1998 the film grossed in the u.s um 9.1 mil that's not very much (laughs) that's not not even half of what it costs to make the movie Uh, oh no that's not even say that's not very good at all no so no so but but that part of the film felt very lo- like that felt like a film that you and I would work on, like a very B film. Honestly, and I think that's right around the time that I was like, this kind of feels like a film that our friends would make. And yes. then I saw yeah, the characters oh, and so. I was like, this is a film that they would make. Right. <laughs> this feels feels like a a lost film of theirs. Yeah, it does. It really does. Oh, uh, and it's not an insult at all. Like not oh, even no. a little bit. It just because they're all good. 
they're good films and they're fun films, but you know, with low budget films, you have to cut a lot of corners. Yeah. I don't think people who are not in the business don't get that, you know, but uh, what's our next big scene of exposition here is where we get, I, I don't understand the logistics of this, that the, the Vatican has places just all around the place, you know, but right. Instantly, James Woods goes to get, you know, they didn't want to show that he didn't have rock hard abs and, you know, a built chest and, you know, muscular arms. So they're showing him getting patched up with no shirt on, with just showing him from the shoulders on up, getting patched up yep. by the Vatican officials. I was like, oh, James Woods wanted to be an action star, but he didn't want to put in the work to get into shape to do it. I mean, come on. Again, he, he tried so hard and I get wanting this to be. Here's here's my thought too as an actor if you want the role you you want to break out of this this rut that you've been doing of just like dramas and things like that why aren't you putting in the work for that uh, laziness that's what i always attribute it to L- laziness of not wanting to put in the work and i mean it totally is it's it's totally laziness and it's big annoying but yeah so he's he's at this Clearly a Catholic church, very clearly a Catholic church, where we meet, is it a cardinal or a bishop? Yeah, car- uh, Cardinal Alba. Yeah, Cardinal Alba. By Maximilian and another, uh, Shell. And another priest, another padre. Yeah, Father Adam. Who, uh, I made a note that Tim Guinea, who had uh, played the role of Father Adam in the same year, was also in Blade. So he had two different uh, vampire That's movies cool. he made that year. But yeah, then you get the exposition of like, you know, uh, that the, the the team was, you know, funded by the by the church and they want him to reform another team, regroup and then, you know, hit it again, but you know, Jack Crow is all adamant, you know, I'm doing this myself with you know, like, you know, we'll cut off all your funding, Jack, you know, if you do that. And that's when he says he's like, "You know how this motherfucker knew my name?" And that's the moment right there where I instantly do not trust the Cardinal. And at that point, I did not even trust Father Adam, although we will find out that he is pretty much, he knows a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes, but he is not a previewed to all the information, I guess is the best way to put it. But, you know, it's one of those like, it's one of those classic buddy cop things where he's just like, I work alone. He's like, well, you're, if you want to continue working, you have to take the new guy with you. He was, you know, training to become the new, uh, you know, to replace Father Giovanni. But now the Father Giovanni is gone. We now have Father Adam. And I, I think it, we need to stop for just one second. I need to mention that just within the last couple of weeks, within the, as my friends uh, like to call it on another podcast, within the space-time continuum of this show, yeah. a few a few weeks ago, Gregory Sierra, who played Father Giovanni, passed away at the age of 83. Yeah. So, Gregory, rest in peace. You gave us a lot of good roles. Low Down, Dirty Shame, Sanford yep. and Son, this movie. Short role, but very good. But I had to mention that while it was uh, still fresh in my brain pan. But anyway. Yeah, not a problem. He did a lot of really good... And interesting roles. Well, he had... I originally remember him from uh, Sanford and Son. And I know he had well over, uh, you know, well over 100 roles. And he had kind of retired somewhat from acting since the 90s. This was one of his last roles. He had only did uh, four or five things since then. But he was, you know, 
on everything from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman to Star Trek to Murder, yeah. She Wrote. I mean, a lot of TV work, you know, very prolific actor. But, yeah, it's just sad to think that we picked the, in, within the week that we picked to do this film that he had passed away. So it was uh, very sad to read that. But anyway, to get back in into the story, Father Adam is now stuck with Jack Crow, or rather Jack Crow is stuck with Father Adam. And you yeah. just get the feeling that Jack Crow is just a, the character. He's not a likable guy. Not a likable no. fella that you identify with on any sort of fucking level because he just is abusive to this guy. Now, granted, Father Adam, you know, in this car ride, I would have probably wanted to smack him upside the head myself. Right. But you just don't go straight out and abuse somebody, drag them out the car, beating them half to death, you know, threatening to, you know, he's like, are you the one that told them, you know, are you the one that told them my name? You know, why would he, I don't, I don't get why. Jack I kind Crow... of feel like this was a lot of the interactions with father Adam and Jack Crow are the 50% that James Woods was allowed to ad lib. <laughs> because it just feels weird it doesn't feel like it's on script because aside from beating the shit out of him he's like do you ever get wood yeah yeah did it you get a little does. wood yeah you know when i was beating you up there a little bit he's like did you get a little wood you know a little mahogany there i felt like that was very odd it felt very so odd weird and so, like but it's funny it is it funny, is funny. It, no, you know? it's so funny but it felt so out of place Right, right. That's why it makes me feel like that definitely wasn't in the script. That's James Woods. <laughs> That's just James yeah. Woods. <laughs> when he's explaining about you know, how crosses don't work and you know garlic doesn't work, and he has a line, he says something along the effect of like, "You wear a wreath of garlic around your neck, they will literally like uh, something about the bang you up, you're streaming chocolata while yeah. sucking the blood out of you." I'm like. Who says that? Who says that kind of thing? James you know, Woods. Who, yeah, James Woods does. <laughs> Fucking James, James Woods. <laughs> at least four or five times in my notes. I'd have to count at the end of this show to see how many times I put the quotes "fucking James Woods" in this movie. You know. I I Sorry. again, fam, Family Guy has ruined James Woods a lot for me too for the the James Woods episode. So oh. <laughs> yes. So instead of ooh piece of candy, I was like. Ooh, it's a priest. Ooh, it's a priest. <laughs> <laughs> just miscast. That's the problem. He's just just a little miscast. But I don't you can't... said I only enjoyed James Woods as Hades. <laughs> Wait, you only was... enjoyed James Wood as what? As Hades and Hercules. Oh. <laughs> well, it was a perfect role for him. It playing was. somebody evil. And you don't have to see his face. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, he ugly. He ugly man. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but I'm going to say he an ugly man. He's not a very attractive dude. Um, yeah, unlike well, da Daniel Baldwin, who at least at this point in his career was pretty attractive individual. Attractive, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we also at this point too see a photo of Valak that looks it looks brand new in my opinion. It's supposed to be old as shit, but it looks like it was a fresh painting. Yeah, it looked more like a photo than it did a painting. Yeah. That, when they describe, you know, that. Again, that felt a little low budget. But, I mean, whatever. You do what you have to do to get it done. But, so yeah, we, we see Valak. So the church knows who Valak is. Yeah. And we get some, we get a little bit of exposition now on Valak before he's beaten up Father Adam. 
Yeah, and then it's a weird transitional kind of point in the movie because then we go back to the hotel and Katrina is tied down butt-ass naked yep. on the on the bed. So you don't know, like, at first, when I first saw this, I was just like, oh, what did Montoya do? Well, then he comes back into the room. He's like, he wakes her up and, and he's like, and he gets really rough with her. I always I felt like this was very unnecessary roughness. It just, he didn't yeah. need to, but, you know. He tells her, "I'll snap your neck like a twig if you scream again." When he ta- when he rips the tape off her mouth, it's just all yeah. very, very brutal, and it's just unnecessarily so. But he tells her, "Like, listen, you know, I treated your wounds, I cleaned you up, I, you know, I took off all your dirty clothes and everything." But still, feels very weird. But he leaves her there naked to, to just at that point pull the covers up over her. Right. You know, is this like here? I'm going to explain to you what happened since you probably don't remember. Because it's, you know, I guess, you know, being bit by a vampire kind of changes your metabolism and, and, you know, maybe, you know, was so uh, such a, you know, a hurtful event that it kind of rendered her memory, you know, defunct at the time. But it just felt very weird, very weird transition of the scene. So I have I have four notes from that scene because we kind of go back and forth between them at the hotel with with her being tied up and whatever and that whole thing to uh, Crow and Father Adam driving. So my first note was a uh, tied down half or uh, naked tied down half vampire lady, <laughs> which yeah. made like no sense to the story really. Like, yeah, you could have cleaned her wounds, but she could have been covered. Yeah, I feel I mean, like, like the reason she was uncovered is because sex sells in everything. It just does, and she's a very attractive. Yeah, they're just actress. like okay. How do we insert nudity into this movie? Oh, this is how we'll do it. Yeah, it was it was weird. And it was, even though it was nudity and not necessarily nece- necessary, I'm glad that it just wasn't like a tit shot. It was more of like a body panoramic kind of shot, which I can get more behind. Yeah. It was It was still f- tastefully done, which you don't necessarily always get in horror films. Right, so right, yeah. I, I love and hate it at the same time. Like, it wasn't necessary, but... It wasn't horribly done. It could have been handled a lot worse and a lot more with a lot more vulgarity, I guess you could say yeah. to it. And then I was like, why did Montoya yell or tell her to be quiet and then scream at her? Yeah, she screams, so he covers her mouth up and then then screams right back. Like but I got the feeling and Patty had said this at one point we were watching it's like, it's probably not the first time they've had a couple screaming and yelling at each other and destroying their room at this hotel. Right. You know, so they're probably just like, oh, it's just the couple in B3, you know? Right. And then we go back to uh, Montoya and, or not Montoya, Crow and Father Adam. And I said, James Woods beats a priest because of backstory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, like he gets upset because it's like, wait a minute, you're giving me exposition and backstory about my character and... You know, because Father Adam explains, I heard about how, you know, a vampire turned your family and you had to, you know... Right. You know, kill your father and this, that, and other, and uh, and it's, it's like it's like James Woods gets mad because backstory. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's exactly it, and it's well then weird. Yeah, it's very awkward. Yeah, and there's a whole lot of awkward and weirdness, which I think comes from. I'm going to say at least in part from them cutting two thirds of the budget. You Most know, likely. With, with mere weeks, they just probably had to retool the script and they'd be like, okay, here was a big action sequence. We have to cut this out. We'd just do this. Oh, now this knowing was... that, a lot of it makes more sense. Yeah. But 
it still had a massive budget. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was still a multi-million dollar budget, but yeah, I guess, you know, no matter what, if you had a budget planned out, and even if it was 10000 or $10 million, but if somebody says that all of a sudden with mere weeks to go, we're taking away two-thirds of that, that would yeah. uh, make me panic. Yeah, same. Big same. If I lost an investor, I'd be like, oh, no, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, what do we do? <laughs> How do we finish? Yeah, how do we fucking put an end, you know, put a period at the end of this sentence? I don't get it. <laughs> Lord. But this is where we get the scene that pretty much changes the direction of the film. Where Katrina, uh, you know, haunted by visions and whatnot from her master, being linked to the master, tries to jump out on the ledge and is about ready to leap to her death. And Montoya saves her by dragging her in. They bust backwards through the window. He gets his arm cut, and then she bites him. Right. And this is the one time where I felt like uh, the kind of overt violence towards women was, at least at one point, was justified because if a vampire bit me, I would probably punch them in the face too. Fair Not statement. That it was, you know, fair statement. You know, whether it was a man or a woman or young, child, old, whatever, matter. child. If a vampire bites you, you're kind of justified to punch them in the face. It's like the that, one time that, where the violence... Yeah. <laughs> that's a justified reaction. Or at least I, I'm right there with you. If if somebody's attacking you, man, woman, child, I, I don't care. Your initial reaction is to protect yourself. So right. that him pushing her and then like smacking her unconscious, whatever. Like, okay, that that I can get with. Oh. I'm fine with that. And but then he's, a, like, super nice to her. Yeah, he's super nice to her after that, and he's all sympathetic. And this is where I'll get into, this is a bit of the Montoya and Katrina's relationship. At first I put, I don't get it, in parentheses. Right. But then three, three notes later, I'm like, I had a, an epiphany. Well, one, at the beginning, when they said, hey, don't worry, Montoya, we'll save her for you. Leads me to believe that maybe Montoya was always sweet on the ladies right you know and that maybe he felt uh, it was his place to maybe be a protector or whatnot and which is what he was basically doing you know he he cleaned her up he he tended to her wounds he tried to take care of her and then she bites him but then you know there's always that thing uh that kind of how do you want to put it the between a master and it's familiar. Now she is not a master, but now that she's turned him, she's kind of his master. So right. I kind of feel like maybe it wasn't almost so much that it was a love relationship that he was in love with her, that he was almost in a worshiping kind of phase of I'm protective of my master. You know, he's trying to hide him though for the whole movie. He's hiding very badly from yeah. Jack, Jack Crow. Cause when Jack finally shows back up at the hotel, you know, he even says, why is her face all bruised up? And he's like, well, I had to hit her, you know. And previous to that, I, I almost, like, skipped ahead too far. The scene following this when uh, Daniel Baldwin goes in and takes the lighter to cauterize the wound yeah, is all done in one shot. There's no camera trick. So it kind of makes me no. wonder what they did to his arm to be able to put that, you know, put that Zippo lighter. Because he holds it to his arm for he does. several seconds. He That may have been method. Because I didn't see any edges or anything there. Um, so that could have been him literally melting like a silicon prosthetic to his arm. Yeah, that was like, it felt very real. Like when he's growling and like, and it's, he's burning yeah. his arm, it felt very real. Like he was just like, I'm just going to do this. 
that know. cauterization <clears throat> felt more real than the one that he does later on, if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, yes. Because I have some logistics problems of how he how he does that. Uh, we'll get to that later on. Yeah. We don't want to skip way, way, way ahead. But you know, then Jack shows up and he's questioning why she's beat up, and he's like, "Why? Why is the room all messed up?" Well, she tried to jump out the window. I saved her. I cut my arm in the glass. And then you know, Jack's like, "Hey, are you all right?" And he's like, "Oh man, yeah, I'm just tired." And you can tell, like, I I feel like the whole time Jack knows. Yeah, that he's been bit, but he's just so fixated on trying to stay one step ahead of Valak and defeating Valak that he's willing to let it go. Because yep. there is a point later on in the film, and I'll just go out uh, out and say, it, and he's you know when it's fully revealed that he's uh, been changed, and he's like, like how long ago did she bite you? And he's like two days ago, and he tells him he's like, and I still covered your ass, Jack, for two days. Yeah, you know, and. Again, you know, jumping a little bit ahead, but it, you know, it just kind of bears mentioning in case we forget that, to mention it later on. That felt that that whole interaction that I still covered your ass. That to me felt really genuine, at least from from Montoya's side. Again, Crow is very one note in this film, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but from right. Montoya's side, where he's he, you can tell like he's fighting his natural instincts, and he still helped his friend. Yeah, you know, and at least, like you said, from Montoya's point of view, it felt, you know, from Daniel Baldwin's side, it felt very, just very real, very it realistic. Did. And It did. That's jumping ahead. That's jumping ahead. Uh, yes, jumping ahead. But then they're using, uh, this, the next thing that I, if I remember correctly in the, the timeline of things is when they're kind of using uh, Katrina to spy on Valak, right? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Um. So, so she sees him. I thought it was funny because the the father that she goes after is Father Molina. Yes. And my middle name is Molina, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, hey. I didn't know that." Yeah. So I was just like, <laughs> "Nice." Small world is small. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of like whenever I encounter a character once in a while whose name is Cameron in a film because it's not just a, a common name like Jack or John or Henry. Right. You know, it's just like, oh. Fairly represented this time. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so we see him go into a church. He doesn't harm the old lady clean in the place. I don't no, think. Right. He yeah, he he, he just like so. looks at her and she's like, oh no, ay Dios mío. Like, yeah, and runs traditional away. Spanish old woman. <laughs> like traditional Spanish old woman. And then he goes and finds Father mm-hmm. Molina and she's. I think at this point too, they're still in the hotel, and and Katrina is giving like all of the the play by play from what she can see. Yeah, Her yeah, they're still eye in the hotel. Intensity yeah. During that is like chef's kiss perfect. Oh yes, she has a level of intensity with her and everything that I've seen her in that she is top notch every each time every time. But like, yes, yeah, but when, when she when she kind of like freaks out, I mean, she's like when, uh, you know, uh, there's a part when like she just screams and kind of cries like he killed the priest. And it's like yeah. so horrifying to her. Yeah. No, like, so good. Yeah. The, and I like how they had the camera on her to where like you could tell that she was quote unquote seeing what she's seeing and like the, just the intensity in her face and in her eyes alone. I feel like that takes. That takes talent, honestly. If you can act in just your eyes alone, so good. <laughs> so mm-hmm. good. 
Um, but this is where we get the the kind of the backstory of what Valak is after. He's right. after the Black Cross to, to essentially turn himself and all his followers into daywalkers, which I think is a trope that they use very often in vampire movies. But like, you just think about it, you know, if uh, they were able to walk in the daylight, they, you know, it's kind of like like the old uh, universal monster movies. I always say the monster is among us. Right. You know, I, I, it's like, it's it's an old trope, but I like it. I I like it. They even mentioned like a master vampire that could walk in the daylight would be unstoppable because they're already essentially like superhuman at night. They burst into flames in the daylight. Imagine if that didn't happen. They would be unstoppable. There would just be mass murders all the time. Yeah, they would just be gods among men, you know, and there would be no stopping them. And this is the point where I made a note uh, with the actor who we haven't mentioned him by name yet that plays Valak, Thomas Ian Griffith. Yes. Only has 18 lines. Yep, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, he only has 18 lines. Other than that, he's just brooding. Yeah, I mean, and he is so good. He, I've seen him in many films. I mostly remember him from this and the Karate Kid Part 3. Right. But like two vastly different roles. But he is great as a villain. He has, uh, he has a certain intensity about him. He never quite became what I would would consider a um, a genuine a lister. Right. You know, and I don't mean that as a slight. Because he has like thirty or forty credits to, to to his name, but he has a certain intensity about him that is just perfect for playing uh, a villain. Yeah, I agree. But but yeah, and 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 I there's a part here when uh, that it's a follow up scene. This is the next note. It'll seem, seem like a weird transition when again Jack Crow is abusing. Uh, father adam again you know yeah abusing him and always with the hand cutting now i've made a note here there are so many nerve endings and so many things that go wrong they always want to whenever they offer a blood sacrifice or they want to like offer their blood for something they always cut across the palm of the hand i hate it it's one of my big pet peeves i hate that too and it's just a movie trope you know and i don't get it like to from an effects point of view it's easy just to put faux blood in your hand and like kind of hold it there and then the blood like the the motion of whatever you're using to cut you can open up your palm and that blood starts to flow so it mm-hmm. it's just but an easy thing but it's so just not practical no it's just like it would be easier to just to cut yourself on the arm and get the same, same amount of blood and, and not destroy all the nerve endings in your hand and need reconstructive surgery to even be able to like hold a pencil again. It was one of my big pet peeves when, when we started doing research for parallels, honestly, and trying to come up with like cuts and stuff and then getting really into effects. Cause you know, parallels has been a, a never ending journey that we've been on. Um, so I started looking, I want to say 2014, 15, something like that. I started looking at like, why it would be practical and then we watched it a lot in supernatural like you wouldn't be able to use your hands for months after doing that well it's just like something i i again to mention the from dust till dawn show that i just recorded with uh tony walters you know there's the obviously very cool scene you know at the beginning when quentin tarantino gets shot in the hand and as they're escaping he looks through the hole in his hand an actual hole and yeah. he just duct tapes it. And he's obviously using his hand 
over and over and over again. You can't just shoot yourself a dime-sized hole in the middle of your hand, wrap it up in duct tape, and then just be okay. It right. just don't work that way. It looks cool for the intents and purposes of a grindhousey kind of film. You know, it looks cool and everything, and it's badass, but not practical. You would get an infection. You would either lose your hand or lose the use of your hand for him the, the rest of time. But, yeah, yeah, no, just... it's it's not practical, and I I really feel like it's just an easy thing. But I feel like I feel like more people who are watching cinema now because that's all we're doing because of COVID. Uh, or right. watching TV now. Well, I think we need to start pulling away from that. Maybe go up on the arm a little bit, or or something like you can you can drop a couple dollars on a on a, a prosthetic piece to make that look more real, or even across the back of the hand. Why not the yeah. back of the hand? You know, you uh, might cut a tendon or something, but you know, just again a pet peeve. No, I'm right there but with I love, you. I, I love the the backstory of the Balak has been looking for this black cross and for hundreds of years. It's a neat origin story where, like, you know, an improper exorcism kind of created the world's first vampire. Yep. It's, a, it's an interesting backstory to think that, you know, the church has been fighting these vampires for, you know, hundreds of years, but they're the ones who created them. I, I love the backstory. It, it gave, you know, it made uh, a not sympathetic villain, but at least you understood his motivation. Yep. And I think and while I he's talking about it, the too. name of the cross. Uh, it's, I had it. The Versailles Versailles cross? Something like that. I had it noted. Now I can't find it. Um, so yeah. I thought I I had too. I put it here. Surprise. The church created vampires. So while this is going on, I think this is when Valak and the other masters are attacking the sanctuary. Yep. Okay. So one of my notes for that is a whole new meaning to a dirt nap. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because they all come up out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, Now the color grading was a little weird there. I think that was a day for night shot because it looked like it was a day for night shot, but it was daytime outside and the color grading tried to make it look like night. Yes. I, I, I had noticed that as well. I kind of questioned that myself. (laughs) So that, that may be what happened. It's not, again, if we had a TV from 1998, it probably wouldn't have even been a big deal. Um, or even super, super noticeable. But I think on high def, I noticed it more. And I was just like, that's interesting. I bet that's a day for night shot. And they couldn't turn the sun off. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, we, being that we're both filmmakers and we have been on numerous film sets, we know all about shooting day for night. Oh, We've gosh. been so there fun. and done that. And yeah, it's and difficult. You, you can't put weed block on the sun, unfortunately. Nope, nope. You can't weed block out the sun. We can, you can do it in the, in a window, but you can't block out the sun in, in an exterior shot. It just yeah. don't work that way. So I mean, the color grading's again not horrible. It works, but it's interesting. And then the other thing I put in here is mouth breathing vampires. Why can't any of these vampires, again going back to their teeth, close their mouths and just walk and be intimidating? Right, instead of being. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, it seems a bit much. And then the other note that I have Overacting. Is, yeah, I said it's really funny that vampires make so much noise for creatures that don't have to breathe. Right, right, right. It's, it's kind of like my, my thing, my... Uh, how do you want to say my beef with uh, zombie movies? Now, zombie movies are my favorite subgenre of films. But, like, zombies and whatnot make way too much noise, especially, like, in Walking Dead universe. Like, 
they, they don't use their lungs. They're not no. supposed to be breathing. They're yeah. they're they're dead. But man, they sure make, they make a, a whole, lot, whole lot of noise. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it's creepier if you didn't hear them coming, you know, this makes it creepier, but I guess for the, the aesthetics of a film that just doesn't work that way. Yeah. It, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, so, so the, these, I think it's like seven or eight master vampires are throwing these monks around. And I said, this is a fun game. Throw the priest. <laughs> and then like whack-a-mole. Kind of. And then underneath that, why did the priest just set himself on fire? So I don't know if you caught it. So in all the hoopla, there's a, a monk that has like a torch or whatever, and he's running. He jumps over the body of one of the other monks that's like on the ground, and he brings the torch back, and you can tell it's a dude in a suit, and he sets himself on fire. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that either. It, this is what it appeared like he did to me. It's like, did he just figure if he sacrificed himself, he wouldn't have to give up the location of the cross, which they were going to find anyway. anyway? Yeah, so that felt weird. And I don't know if that meant to be in there or if they, it was like on the cutting room floor and they were like, we need like three more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe it was a matter he didn't want to return as a vampire, so he thought if he saw, set himself on fire, that would nip that in the bud. It's just, it was weird. It was very oh, weird. Oh, yeah, it's def- definitely still weird. And so, but, you know, that, that was but, my, my few notes there. <laughs> I like yeah. this game. Throw the priest! <laughs> <laughs> Throw the priest! Whack-a-mole! Whack-a-priest! Oh, that's great. But the next part is when they, they, just, they finally figure out where... The uh, the vampires are heading. They I forgot the name of the town. I didn't write it down. I don't know if you did that, but they basically fi- they basically find what I call the dead town. It's a very phantasm like. You know, is this a town that's been kind of just eradicated of all human existence? Yeah. And they figure out like the as they call them, they still most of the time don't refer to them as vampires. They call them goons. Yep. That they have held up in the jail. Now, this is the the second biggest problem I have with this movie. Again, I, I still like the film. I know it feels like I'm I'm knocking it down a peg or two, but I'm only I'm only hitting it because I love I still love the film. Right. But uh, you know, the, the, their plan to go about getting into the bowels of this jail, getting down into the the, the underground layer that's where all the vampires are, are hiding. This seems like a very bad plan. Like they send yeah, Father Adam in there, and he's just like, I, I was a captain of my high school soccer team. And, like, James Woods even kind of looks at him like, really? That's that's your prerequisite to get into this fucking job? And you were a, a soccer player? Like, you know. Uh, but, you and know, I think that was also an excuse to get James Woods out of doing heavy action. Because I think if James Woods would have done that, it wouldn't have gone as smoothly. <laughs> right, right. He would have tripped. He would have fell down. <laughs> it would have looked weird. It would have looked weird. His little weak Popeye spindly legs would have given out on him somewhere he, along the way. He didn't have the upper body strength to pull himself through the elevator, I don't think. No, no. And Adam actually does a better job in action than expected. Like, at yeah. least for the first time I watch it, he really, you know, does well. And... You know, they, they get the first vampire out. And, like, I know their their plan was to do it the same way. They, they were just trying to retread the, the ground they had already 
had treaded right. on in the opening. They're going to, you know, hook up the crossbow and drag them out. Well, it works with the first vampire and the second one, not, not so much. And the note I had, I was like, why does Jack go all out vicious with that last va- vampire, you know, holding on to it until it goes out into the daylight and nearly explodes with him on top of it. Right. I, I mean, I understand they're trying to get give you the idea that Jack is as full of this rage and he hates the vampires because they took his family and, you know, he had to it kill his funny, own father. Though. It was yeah, funny. It just, yeah. Just the way he, his, his way of taking out the vampires just is to stab it repeatedly and go die just die will you just die that that was also very very nicholas cage right right oh nicholas cage uh i wonder if nicholas cage has ever seen this movie and be like you know is james wood stealing my best stick (laughs) he went full-on johnny blaze with this shit he did he really did um Let's see. I did put in here the music. The all of the music in the this film is very re- reminiscent of Escape from L.A. And I think they may have used what they couldn't use in Escape from L.A. for vampires. Yes, it does feel very Escape from L.A.-ish. And, and you know, that's one thing that's got to be said at least once in the show. John Carpenter is a great musician as yeah. well as being a great filmmaker. But that's something that at least nine out of every ten movies, John Carpenter is a master of doing the score on films. Yeah, he, find, he finds a mood and it just works. But it does feel like some leftover tracks from, uh, you know, a little Escape bit, from LA. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's okay. It works. It still works. I think this is the point where we got to talk about how the team gets split up. Yeah, they're starting to lose daylight. They realize they got a lot more vampires to take care of. And they're just like, okay, we better just hightail it out of here and wait for daylight again. And when they get out, it changes from day to night awfully quick as it usually does. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of like the near dark syndrome. You know, I love near dark. It's probably my favorite. It might, yeah, Near yeah. Dark is my favorite vampire film of all time. But there's a few moments in that where it goes from day to night and back and forth awfully quickly. Yeah, super quick. Like, ooh, the sun's starting to come down. Oh, 30 seconds later. Oh, it's dark. The but, other thing yeah. that I thought was interesting in that, too, is the whole time that they're trying to get these masters out of the, the jail, um, they have Katrina tied up in the Jeep, in, in Montoya's Jeep. And again, her eye intensity, the eye makeup for her in that, because she has such like pretty blue-green eyes, they just mm-hmm. added a little bit of red to make it look like they were high-strung or whatever. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, like, and that... the way she's reacting is yeah. like somebody who's going through like uh, the Joneses or the DTs like from yeah. heroin or something like that. She is just shaking, and the intensity in her face, especially her eyes, Yeah, you know, and she's starting to change. She's really yep. starting to, you know, make that final turn. And so, yeah, this is the big change for her because she's she's there. She's feeling what they're feeling. Yeah, and she's more like among her people and not among the humans anymore. So Valet comes out with the rest of the master vampires. And, and the funny thing is Jack or James Woods is Jack looks so surprised when he turns around. And he's like, oh, there's Valak. And all the other vampires is like, yeah, well, you were just trying to get them all out. It's now dark, right. dark and it's nighttime. Why are you so surprised? But, you know, uh, I, I mean, Montoya tries, but, you know, a full clip emptied at, you know, a dozen master vampires is, is going to do nothing. Is it going to do much? Yeah. When, yeah. When a full clip emptied into one regular goon does nothing. 
he, you know, he drives off. I think it's not so much that he was hightailing it out of there and being, you know, like a scaredy cat, like, oh, I'm going to leave my team behind. I think he was just going to try to regroup. Yeah, but he that was kind of how I felt about it. It was that he he got the fuck out of Dodge just to be like, well, okay, gather it back up, let, let regroup, go back in. Right, right, because I, I think he knew he would be no good to Jack dead. Right. And Jack gets his ass handed to him for all his yep. bravado, all his machismo. He gets his ass just handed to him by Valak. So my second and, note is, oh, look, a new game, throwing crow around. <laughs> <laughs> Whack a crow. There we go. <laughs> and then like, yeah. I got to ask uh, uh, from a standpoint, were you surprised at all when they, you know, they got Jack put, put, put up on the cross and they got him crucified and then... Cardinal Alba comes out. Not a little I, I mean, bit. Not I, even I, at all. I was not I was like, expecting it. If it had not happened, I'd have, been, I'd have been more surprised if it hadn't happened. I think a better plot twist would have been if Father Adam would have walked up and been like, okay. Ooh. I like where, where I'm picking up what you're throwing down. I like yeah. that. that been so a like, Better. This whole like him pretending to like be killing, obviously killing the vampires, but pretending to be like on Crow's side and whatever, whatever, and then him like come around Valak and be like, okay, I think that would have been more of a a hit than Alba. Yeah, yeah, me too. I kind of expected it from uh, Alba. I, it just like it, it, it felt like such a gimme, you know. It did. It did. Like and that was very stereotypical. But the note I had here is Cardinal Alba is a motherfucker because he literally this says, you know, well, as one gr- grows older, you start to question your faith and, you know, and you start to question about, you know, dying and whether or not there's eternal life. And he's like, basically, he's selling out just so he doesn't have to die. He can be turned right. into a vampire and be a day walker like everybody else. Yep, yep. But like, here's the point, like where I think they make one of the the right decisions. They need a blood, the blood of a slayer to kind of complete the the uh, the ritual to turn them into all the day all the vampires into daywalkers. Right. They cut James Woods across the front of his thigh. Yep. Much better you, uh, technique than cutting across the palm. I was at least, but cut across the thigh. Much better than a cut across the palm. Yep. And I said, um, it, it reminded me very much. Of course, it's supposed to give you the reminiscence of Jesus on the cross or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I was surprised that they didn't go up on the rib. But it could have been because that may not have worked for James, so the leg worked, and I did like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he's so th- he was so thin up up in the rib cage that they wouldn't have gotten enough blood. <laughs> no, not at all. He, he had no meat on his bones. The skinniest action hero of of, of all time. <laughs> so while this is going on, Montoya and Katrina are off trying to regroup, and Katrina bites Montoya, like takes a good chunk out of him. Oh yeah, she takes a big old ham ham hock sized chunk out of his neck. Which but, okay, sure. You know, it, it, but here's where the consistency of the special effects, like we talked about before, from when it cuts back and forth, from where she bites him and she wanders off. Yeah, and and rejoins, you know, the group. I'm like, you're alone now, Slayer. When they show her showing up, just covered in blood, so he gets the idea that he's alone. Then it cuts back to. Montoya, who's still very much alive. Right. Weak, and, but alive. Yeah, very weak, but alive. And he uses his machine gun, fires a couple rounds off, presses the barrel against his neck. But the problem I have with it is that the 
he doesn't touch the the he touches the gun to his neck, but yeah, it's like the, the stock of the gun, but it's not the barrel. The smoking barrel never touches his neck. Like that, he, he it sells it with enough. his reaction. You know, he his does. reaction is great and very painful, but it, the choreography, the blocking, could have been much better. Also, logistically, he didn't fire enough rounds to make the barrel of the gun hot enough. Right, right. Like if he had emptied out the full clip, then I could have bought it. But he fired right. off like one Four. little short burst. Yeah, it was like again. I felt like done. it was once again. They were just, once again they were trying to use the trope that they had already used what they did with the lighter. They just were like, okay, right. he he's done this once before. He'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't quite have the punch that I think they were. The logistics of it, the choreography and the blocking it was weird. Was just, it was weird. And then um, when Katrina was walking away, I made the note for creatures who need to live on blood. They sure do waste it. Oh, my biggest pet peeve about any vampire movie. They blood is their life force. You know, is is their is what they survive on. They waste so much of it. They waste more than they ever get in their gullet. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I get it for cinematic value. You have to look bloody. But, like, come on. Like, uh, pet peeve. Pet peeve. Yeah, it's like always when, like, when they, or when they bite somebody on the neck in, in a vampire movie and they stop and they lean back and let the blood kind of spray all over their face and then they go back in. Yeah. It's like, why? Why? Like, well, why would you just why waste are you your wasting food? This? Yeah. There's starving kids in countries that need that <laughs> blood. <laughs> Think about the starving kids. Listen, uh, there was starving vampires in that town, all right? Right. It wasn't <laughs> enough blood to go around. You done killed everybody. You could have shared some. Couldn't you got a little doggy bag or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, okay. We get the, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. So we have, we have Father Adam hiding, listening to everything that's going on. And he's, like, completely shocked and awed that uh, Cardinal Alba is is siding with Valak and all these other masters. And James Woods is doing... I, again, I don't feel like this was Jack Crow. It was just James Woods playing James Woods. Um, James, James Woods is up there just shit-talking everybody. <laughs> right, right. Which happens to be one of my favorite one-liners of the film where he calls uh, Valak a fucking pole-smoking fashion victim. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great one-liner. It, it doesn't fit very well, I think, with the character, but I love it. I love it. Yeah. But That's even Valak says, Jack, what will silence you? You know, I, I feel like yeah. that wasn't even a line written in the movie. I think Thomas Ian Griffin is just like, it was something he was trying to say to even John Carpenter. It's like, how do we shut James Woods up? Right, right. Like, how do we, this, this dude just keeps running his mouth. Yeah. So, and, and then, so now we have... Just my favorite thing. I said, Jesus Christ, was that a dummy? If not, holy whiplash. Oh, God. Well, well, previous to what we're getting to here, I have to say points for Father Adam for taking yeah. out Cardinal Alba with one shot. Yep. But then, <laughs> and then them turning it around on him, they're like, well, we'll just use you because he's going to put his gun to his head. It, but like he's gonna stop to save Jack, but like Jack's getting his nuts set on fire with a torch. Yeah. But that stops him. That doesn't 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 uh, seem to work. But then it's followed by Montoya's really harebrained scheme to try to save 
Jack. You know, the logistics, uh, it's just not very well choreographed. I felt like, again, it was a budgetary thing, and they didn't know how to pull it off. But, like, when he fires the crossbow into that stake that looks like it's, like, the cross that Jack is tied to, it looks like a damn telephone pole. It does. But, like, but, you know, but when he drives by, like you said, holy whiplash, I, I... I don't I know. No shit. Watched rest- that like seventeen times. Oh, I watched it several because I kept looking at like how it was choreographed from shot to shot. It's not even edited together very well. Mm-mm. Like, and the note I had here was Montoya's rescue plan is some bullshit, poorly executed. <laughs> but points for Father Adam for having the biggest set of colonies to uh, to a father I've ever seen to shoot his you know his boss. Right. It, it, it like I, I I guess he's you know James Woods or Jack Crow is just lucky that you know when they when Montoya pulled the stake you know the the cross out of the ground that it didn't lay lay face down and drag him along the ground because he'd have been missing his face and he half sh- his skin on his based body. on how that looked he should have been dead his neck would have been broken yep yep if it would have been broken it should have landed face down yeah to be quite honest. And it would have dragged him. If it didn't kill him, it would have gave him such a bad case of road rash that he would have died from from his injuries. But the logistics of that whole scene don't exist in the real world. It's oh, it's so it's funny and it it's it it works for the film. But God, uh, I literally watched it. They did not pay attention to physics and math or anything like that. Because but, he has the crossbow, and like I, I employ any or implore anybody who's listening to go back to that scene and just watch it in slow mo and watch the rubber neck. Because if that was real life, one, if the the brace or the pull from the the car didn't break his neck, his head slamming back onto the pole would have knocked him out. Yeah, it would at least cause a major concussion, and he definitely wouldn't have been getting back up. And then fighting Valak. And now it's yeah, suddenly becoming Valak. daylight. So like we had sudden night and then night for like 10 minutes. And now it's suddenly becoming dawn again. Yeah. Yeah. It went from night from day to night to day really quick. Yeah. It does the 30 day, the the opposite of 30 days a night. <laughs> yeah. 30 days of night was like <laughs> much, amazing. But other Yeah. That's, that's a much better vampire film than this. Yeah. Yeah, so, and it, it does fall apart a little bit here towards the end, you know, the action and the choreography. I felt like it was just a, a rush to the finish line just to get it done. Yeah, the the last... Thirty minutes of the film just feel very rushed. Like, and one of the things I put in here, it was like, Valak really wants to touch the cross. And, like, I I understand the character wants the cross because he wants to daywalk. The acting for that was so weird. Yeah, his reaction, the way he moved his hands and kind of reacted yeah. to it felt very, very childlike. It did. Like like a kid that was told that, you know, you can't touch, you know, you can't touch the box of Fruit Loops on the top shelf. And he was just like, I got, but I got to, you know, it just, yeah, it didn't like, quite make sense. It was, that was very strange. And then he just, abruptly turns and goes after crow which again is weird because right. it's, and what uh, it's 
bizarre. Just why? I have I have so many questions. So many questions. Also, Daniel do... pointed something out to me is when they're in that shack and their crow and Valak are fighting. Valak is in daylight. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's in total daylight, and he's just smoking a little bit. But like, it's not until well, uh, Jack Crow stakes him through the heart with the cross with the black cross and he's starting to pull it out of himself that he looks up and all these slats that are barely, they're only blocking out half the sun. Yeah. His plan is to take out one of the support beams with a tackle, which like his little frail body. I don't understand like why the impact of his 115 pounds, whatever, like had the, the result other, that it did with that too, with that too, hundred percent uh, right on board with that. How the fluff did weak little James Crow or J- James Woods pick up Valak on that cross? Oh, yeah, because he's totally suspending him in midair and carrying him with it. I mean, How? the guy that plays Valak, uh, Ian Griffith, has got to weigh at least about 180, 200 pounds. There's no way. He couldn't have held them up there for a second, let alone for the 30 seconds that he's holding them up. But No, yeah. that, felt, that to me, I was like, his character, That Crow, was the biggest what-the-fuck moment of the movie. <laughs> like, he's not built to do you know, that. So weird. If it had been, like, somebody like Jason Momoa, you know, or The Kurt Rock Russell. or somebody, or Kurt Russell even, I would have I would have bought that, that. I would have bought it even if it was Nicolas Cage. I just don't buy it with <laughs> I James don't buy Woods. it with Woods, yeah. And then, of course, yeah, like, he's throwing himself into the support beam. Like, he had the most... Again, I think in his head, you know how this translates sometimes, he's in his head going, I'm acting. I look tough. This is awesome. Did not yeah. translate. It just looks it just looks awkward. It just looks awkward. And then we get, as I put a big explode explode. You yeah. know, with, with half the daylight couldn't uh, set Valak on fire, but now he's in full daylight, you know, he explodes, explodes, and it's a good explosion, and the explosions and, and the fireballs in this movie are, are done very well. They are. You know, it's some good, good effects, but it's essentially as we're coming up on the last moment of the movie when we get our sad farewell between uh, Crow and Montoya, and like, again, I felt like, again, Daniel Baldwin upstages James Crow in this, you know, when right. he tells him, he's like, you know, I yeah, I got bit two days ago, I know I've been hiding it from you. He's like, but I covered your ass. I still continued to cover your ass, even though I was changing. And, you know, and Crow says, you know, was it rule number 10 or rule number? Because they have a whole bunch of rules, kind of like a zombie. He's like, if you're, you know, if a team member ever gets bit, never, ever let him live. But he's like, I'm going to let you live. You gave me two days. I'm going to give you two days. And it's just a weird exchange where he's just like, you know, you love her that much. And it's like, I don't don't get how they fell in love. There was no nothing there to kindle any kind of relationship. I just felt like in the in the film they were trying to make it that they were in love. But I felt like it was just, you know, a master vampire and a familiar kind of vampire relationship. And, and that's you, the only way I can even justify it. Yeah, no, after you said that that's the only way that I can justify it too, because it's so weird. Right. Cause he's, yeah. he's, he's picking her up and he's like, come on, baby. It's okay. I got you. And like, I even think like they briefly kiss, which was weird. Yes. And they I'm do like, at one point. I was like, how do you go from literally hitting her two days before calling her a whore? She's useless. She's just 
a piece of meat to now she's the love of your life. So it love has of your to life. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to be the vampire bite. Like that's the only way that I can justify it because there was no substance there for us to get any love connection with them. Yeah, I mean, unless there was something in a cut scene or some cut footage that we didn't see, but I'm I'm only justifying it by the the connection between you know a vampire turning its familiar, and that's about all I can uh, all I can give it. It's yep. it's very weak sauce, very weak tea, but that's all I get. But it is a very sad farewell between Crow and Montoya. It you is. know, the, the last line is he's like via Candio Slayer, and he's just like, and you know, like. Uh, he eventually, you know, like if you believe in backstory or the continuation of these kind of stories, you pretty much know Jack was going to keep true to his word. He's like, I will. And yeah. he has like, and this prefaces uh, Liam Neeson saying this and taken by several years where he's like, I will hunt you. I will find you and I will kill you. Yep. And I kind of feel like almost Liam Neeson owes at least a shred of something to John Carpenter in the writing for this. You know, yep. totally. But, but and then we get the awkward that this is the last moment of the movie where they're going to go back in. Uh, Crow and Father Adam are going to go back into the jail now that it's all of a sudden daylight again, and they're going to kill the rest of the vampires. And they start about start getting wood again yeah. and different kinds of wood. I got mahogany, ebony, major teak. Yeah, you know, this this so was a weird note to end it on. If it had been a buddy cop comedy or something like Lethal Weapon or Forty Eight Hours, and sure. I I could have it seen was, it, but it just so felt weird. out of place for her. So my question with that too. So so he gives he gives Montoya two days. Montoya took the weapons truck. Yeah, yeah. He did not take his, his little Jeep Wrangler. He took the weapons truck. How were they gonna How are they, they gonna, gonna kill these vampires? They took all the weapons. And I was like Crow is just letting Montoya take the weapons truck? What? Yeah. Yeah. Again, very, very weak tea. Very weak tea there at the end. And then, yeah, the unnecessary penis joke at the end of it. Like, okay, whatever. Jokes. But I literally wrote in my note, like, how much of that writing, or how much was that in the script, or how much was that James Woods? Oh, I'm sure it was another 50-50. Yeah. I'm so sure it, they had a one-liner written, and he's just like, I'm going to make a dick joke right here instead. Oh, uh, so weird. So weird. But, uh, yeah, that is the end of our film, you know, and uh, it did continue with one direct sequel and one very, very indirect sequel. And uh, the indirect sequel, because that just sounds weird. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's it's it it just has to deal with it. I think what they had was a spec script that was about vampire hunters and they just decided to cash in on that name cuz it's very it's it's very bad and very low right. budget. And I will I will have to say I'll give Los Meritos uh, another day in court one of these days if I can find it streaming anywhere I might watch it. I just remember not liking it very much uh cuz I'm just not a, a huge Bon Jovi fan. I I think he is less of a action hero than James Woods, but I, I'm willing to give it a second chance. I believe in giving every movie I've watched at least, you know, at, at least a second viewing. Right. So I will try that. But you want to go ahead and we can get into our final thoughts and reviews and and you know the rules here. Uh, yep. Guests go first. Yep. So again, I do I do enjoy this film. It is absolutely a guilty pleasure. Is it a perfect film? Not remotely. Not remotely. 
it definitely to me feels like a film that me and my friends would get together and just spend 10 days laughing and being absolutely silly and having the best time and I think that's probably how it was for people on set because everything I read that they were all like they all had a really good time on set um yes so it's just bizarre to me that it's like a multi-million dollar film uh, I would I'd say it's like a solid like 6.57 in that range I can agree with that I I I'm actually my rating that I had written down on my notes was seven out of ten. It feels like John Carpenter just having fun. Yeah, you know, like you said, uh, everybody you know seems to have, except for Carrie Takawa, seemed to have a good time on set. And uh, you know, it feels like John Carpenter not directing an A-list film. It, right. it feels like John Carpenter said, "I'm just going to do a fun B movie," you know, and. It's just fun. It's not to be taking taken serious. It's a good B movie. It's good popcorn and beer kind of movie. It's a right. the exact kind of film, like you said, the type of film you watch with your friends and just have a good time. And I have yeah. to I have to touch base on this. I have a a friend of mine that is no longer with us. He passed away almost uh, a little, actually a little over a decade ago. And we used to go to the movies all the time you know we'd always get together and go see the movies go to the drive-in and we went to go see this movie and both highly enjoyed it made fun of it a lot poked a lot of fun like we're doing now at james wood's uh, overacting and inability to sell an action scene but his favorite line in this movie which is why it's my favorite line is the fucking pole smoking fashion victim you know so every time i hear that line when i watch this movie I have to admit, it brings a little bit of a tear to my eye because I, I fondly remember uh, my friend. His name was John Bobar, and he, like I said, he's no longer with, with us. And this was one of our favorite movies uh, to watch together. So it's always a fun time. It's, it's, it's good to revisit and rewatch. Is it a great movie? No. Nah. But it's, it's a good movie, and it's damn fun. It is yeah. damn, damn fun to watch. It is a lot of fun to watch. But, and I think... Me, when I first watched it, you got to keep in mind, I watched it early 2000s. Um, so long before I was ever in film, I enjoyed it then. But working in film now, I still, I think I enjoyed a little bit more because I know that this was just a group of, of people who really got along, had a blast together, probably cracked penis jokes offset too. And just, right. And had just a lot of fun. And that, it, it makes me miss being on film sets. Yes, it does. Because, that camaraderie that you get, you know, the yeah. fellowship that you have with your fellow filmmakers, you know, and, and the cast and crew, it just, yeah, it makes you long for like the days on the set of sets like night blade and, uh, yeah. Hell's bells and stuff. I miss all those guys. It reminds me a lot of working with the lost bastards crew. Yeah. 100%. And it's, yep. A, a lot of fun. A lot well, of that, fun. that being said, uh, you want to plug anything you have going on or tell people where they can, where they can find you on the interwebs. So yeah, you can find I'm I'm one half of Con Dog Films. I'm the con portion of it. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Con Dog Films, Instagram, Con Dog Films. I'm trying to get us onto the TikTok by doing like 60 second short films. Um, that's a venture that we're probably gonna do maybe March after we we're also moving <laughs> we're in a process of moving oh yeah and uh, congratulations on, on on that as well thank you thank you um so once we're more settled i want to try to do more with the, the film aspect of everything 
Um, and we're, you know, aiming to shoot parallels this summer, um, which will be our first feature, which we're really excited about, which you'll yes. get to come down and do the stuff too. And it's going to be a really good time. Um, and then just Mooncat Crafts, which is my craft business. It's still thriving. Um, everything's still up. We have, I'll have to send you, Cameron, the list of candles we're introducing this year. But we've got a long list of new items that we're, we're coming out with once we get moved and settled. Nice. I am a big fan of your guys' uh, wax melts. Yes. We use them. We're actually almost out. I'm going to have to order more. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you in well, business. Yes. But uh, awesome. Awesome. I look forward to shooting uh, parallels with you. It's going to be quite the undertaking. I know it's been a yeah. long time coming. I'm looking long, forward to long it. Long time coming. And it's, it's really, really, I'm so confident with with all of our choices we i don't know if you saw the change we brought in derek worley to help with special effects just because as you know my health's not great but that's whatever derek coming in with dennis i feel like our effects are going to be so top-notch for our budget it's going to be amazing Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing how that all unfolds because I've I've read the script several times now, and I'm, yep. I always wonder like, all right, how are they going to pull this off? Because putting it on the written page is so much different than when you put it in front of the camera. So I oh, yeah. definitely look forward to that. No, I'm excited. I'm excited. But all right, folks, excited. like we make scary movies and stuff that smells good. So it's yeah. two different. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Con, I want to I want to thank you very much for joining me again on another show and taking a couple hours out of your schedule. I know you got a lot going on, so I always appreciate you giving me a few hours of your time. I like hanging so, out with you, and thank you for thinking of yeah. me with this because you know I had big fun with it. So, oh yeah, I look forward to uh, recording one with your better half there, uh, with Daniel. Yeah. We're going to be doing. I'm looking for one other person to join us on the thing because I feel like that's such a a well layered more of a perfect movie as opposed to this one. And yeah. again, I felt like we, we, we said a lot of stuff about this and people might feel like we don't like this movie. But oh no, we totally it, do. <laughs> yeah, I totally like it. It's just like, it's just not a perfect film. Vampires is just, it, it's a fun movie, but not a great movie. But when Daniel and I cover the thing here, I'm, I'm looking into getting a couple of people to join us uh, from a special effects angle that'll help us because the thing is such a special effects heavy movie. So looking forward yeah. to recording that one. This has been fun to do these shows. But again, uh, folks, you have been listening to Cinema G Generation's John Carpenter Appreciation Month. And remember, stay scared. Time to slay some vampires, Padre. You up for it? Guess so. Just the two of us. No, Mr. Crawford. He was always with us. Fair enough, Padre. Let me ask you a question. When you were stabbing that vampire in there, yeah. Did you get a little wood? Mahogany. Excuse me? Happy. What? Teak, are you possessed by demons? Major Chubby. Language, by the way. Language.